Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video or online at fellowshipgj.com. Or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. had one of those days, like a Monday on a Thursday. You wake up and you're completely out of coffee, and then you drive by Starbucks anticipating time to stop and grab a cup, but the, block, the line is wrapped completely around the block, and you can't even go and then pretend you were late for an acceptable reason. By the time you get to work, you recognize that you have a stain on your shirt. You go to the bathroom to like you know, spot clean it, and you realize it's toothpaste, and so it's not going to come out no matter what you do. Just a day. A day where you have a low-grade cold, like you're sick, but not sick enough to get to stay home. Where your cell phone battery dies halfway through the day, but you forgot your charger. Or your heel breaks off your shoe, but only off one of the shoes. And just Things keep going wrong until the end of the day you get home and you look in the mirror and you recognize that you have a piece of the leftovers you ate for breakfast stuck in your front tooth. Just a day. And it's hard after days like that to not struggle with bitterness. Your, f your fuse can be so short, it doesn't even feel like a fuse. It's more like a landmine. And anyone could step on it at any second. Your husband could step on it. Your kids could step on it. The cat will definitely, at some point, step on it because the trigger is now just this hairpin trigger. And bitterness can sneak up on any one of us. It can sneak up on us through a series of unfortunate events. Events where one after another just don't go your way. Or it can sneak up on you because of something very intense, like a really big hurt that just takes root and twists and really wounds you to your core. The Bible tells us and warns us about bitterness in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We've all had those days where everything seems to go wrong and we're presented with a choice. And that choice is, are we going to let the day's events define us? Or are we going to press through and make sure that no bitterness takes root in our heart? In Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul is having worse than one of those days. He has a series of very significant, very rattling events that kind of comes to him and he has a choice to make. At the end of this day, he could be very bitter and he would have every right to do so from a human perspective. But, spoiler alert, he's not. Instead, he finds himself praying for others, ministering to people, encouraging people, laying hands on people and seeing them be healed. 
And so what is it that Paul did to make sure that bitterness never took a, took a root in his heart? How did he get better instead of getting bitter? Let's jump in, Acts chapter 28. The book of Acts is written by Dr. Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. Verse one, it says, once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. Once we were safe on shore. Once we were safe on shore from what? The chapter before tells us that they were in a ship, on a ship in a massive storm. And Paul had told everyone, hey guys, it's winter, this is storm season, we should not sail. But no one listened to him, and so they were sailing anyways. And as that storm blew in, Paul gave the advice early on, we should throw the cargo overboard to lighten the load so that the ship sails better in the storm, but no one listened to Paul. And so it's now come to the point where the ship is literally breaking apart in the storm, and it's sinking. And so Paul and his companions are just looking around for a piece of broken ship to kind of float on, like Jack and Rose after the Titanic sank. They're just trying to float to shore. But meanwhile, it's a massive storm. Torrential downpours, waves buffeting, just cold. The dead of night, their muscles are cramping as they're just praying for, like, daylight and they're praying for landfall. And at the end of this, yes, once they were all safe on shore, and I'll be honest, if I was shipwrecked, like if I was actually shipwrecked in a sea, by the time I dragged myself on shore, I would have a lot to say about it. And it would not be rainbows and sunshine. It would, it would be heartfelt like frustration and maybe even some bitterness. I'd be tempted to unload on the next person that I saw. And Paul could have been frustrating. He could have been frustrated and allowed bitterness to sink into his heart. He had this opportunity to tell the nitty-gritty details to Luke, and Luke to later pen those in what would be the best-selling book for two millenniums. But he doesn't. He sidesteps that opportunity to be bitter, and instead, he, he recognizes that there's an antidote to this bitterness. So four antidotes to bitterness. Number one, complaining about what wrecked you never heals you. Complaining about what wrecked you never heals you. So Paul had this big opportunity to air his grievance about everything. He could have crawled on shore, and he could have yelled at everyone, I told you, I told you we shouldn't sail. I told you we should lighten the load. I told you, I told you, I told you, but he didn't do that because he recognized that the complaining about what wrecked you is never going to heal you. Now, yes, there is a benefit to processing pain to getting with a group of people that are safe and processing through your pain as an act of letting it go. That can be helpful, but complaining is distinctly different. The dictionary defines complaining as the expression of dissatisfaction or annoyance about something. So complaining is where we're talking for the sake of releasing our own dissatisfaction on other people. And complaining stirs up bitterness in the heart of those who are complaining. And this is another problem, is that to release the dissatisfaction, it has to go somewhere, right? So when I open my mouth to complain, I'm releasing my dissatisfaction on anyone who's close to me, on anyone who's listening to me. They have to receive my dissatisfaction at some level. So we might feel a little bit better having released the dissatisfaction, but the people who had to listen certainly feel worse. Complaining is kind of like forcing someone to eat from your trash can. 
You're just giving them these leftovers that are twisted and nasty. So the president of my Bible college is a man named Dr. Gordon Anderson, and it was over 25 years ago that I sat in a chapel service, and he would speak every single Friday, and he was a really well-learned man that I really respected. And one day he told this story, and it stuck with me all this time. I call it to memory on a regular basis, but he said that he had a horrible day. And he went home to his wife of 25 years, and he told her, as they sat down to the dinner table, he began to tell her the details of his day. And it was hard. And so he said, this day was horrible, it was horrendous, it was miserable, it was so frustrating, I hated this day. And he goes on and on, kind of unloading his complaints on his wife. And um, she then, she's been married to him for over 50 years at this point, so she then goes, <gasps> feigning shock, <gasps> Please tell me which of the students from our Bible college was thrown into the den of lions for his commitment to prayer and intercession. And the president said, okay. She's like, no, who was it? Who was it that was, that was thrown into the fiery furnace for their refusal to worship an idol today? Who, who was it that was martyred on Main Street for preaching the gospel? Was it anyone? Gordon, then let's have some perspective past the roles. And he came to chapel, <laughs> and he told this story, and it stuck with me. Because the truth is, when we open up our mouths and give voice to our complaints, we're creating a way for bitterness to come down into our soul. When we open our mouth, we create like this funnel where bitterness can come into our hearts and begin to take root. And that's why the Bible says in Philippians 2, it says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And so we learn that Paul and his companions are now stranded on the island of Malta. And this is not where they intended to go. When they got on the ship, the plan was that they would go to Rome, the capital of the empire. That's where they thought they were headed, but suddenly now they're stranded on the island of Malta, which is a place they had no intention of being. And this type of setback can lead to bitterness and frustration. Maybe you've been shipwrecked on your own version of Malta, stranded in a spot in life where you never intended to go. Single when you thought you'd be married by now. No babies when you expected to have one in your arms by now. Going to classes when you hoped to be graduated by now. Working the same dead end job when you hoped to have a career by now. Retired when you hope, when you're still working when you hope to be retired by now. Maybe you have adult children living in your house when you hope to be empty nesters by now. But for some reason, maybe you're stranded, you're shipwrecked, stuck in a season where you never really wanted to go. So what does Paul do? What does Paul do with his Malta? Let's jump back into our text, Acts 28. It says, we learned that we were on the island of Malta, and the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us as Paul gathered an armful of sticks. Paul is so much cooler than I am. Like, he just was shipwrecked. He has every excuse to just lay on the beach and, I don't know, catch his breath. But he looks around and he sees something that needs done. And he begins doing that thing. He had every excuse to say, you know what, I'm going to take a break. But instead, he didn't. He got up and he gets to work. And he doesn't give frustration or bitterness or disappointment an opportunity to take root. He just starts helping. 
And sometimes when we're going through something, it can be tempting to say, you know what, I deserve this break. I am going through a lot. I deserve to be able to take it easy right now. But the very thing that could help catapult us out of the funk that we're in could be this idea of starting to serve, starting to help, starting to contribute. And so the second antidote to bitterness is contribute even if you don't feel like you have a lot to offer. Paul probably didn't feel like he had a lot in the tank right then, but he started giving what he had. He moved, he moved forward and he stepped up and he contributed. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, it says the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So I know a widow who decided in her widowhood, I am going to go and I'm gonna begin volunteering in the classroom of my grandchildren, just for a way to give back and connect. And I know a college student who said, I'm gonna begin tithing on my little part-time job where I don't make that much money, but I'm just gonna start giving. And I know a teenager in our church family who said that they had an elderly neighbor and they made up the excuse to offer to mow for them once a week. So they're mowing every week as a way of just checking in on that elderly neighbor, making conversation to just see that they're okay. I know a man who on his drive to work has decided he's going to give back by just praying for every member of his family by name, just calling them out to the Lord as a way of contributing to those around him. And there's this cultural trend that tells us, you know what, look after number one. Just take care of yourself. But sometimes the very thing that we need to pull ourselves up out of a funk once we find ourselves stranded on Malta is to get involved in something that's bigger than any one of us, bigger than ourselves, give back in a way so God can take that little that we had and multiply it into a lot. Verse three, it says, as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, He escaped the sea, but justice, justice will not permit him to live. So here Paul is doing something kind, doing something helpful, and he gets bit. Doing good does not ever exempt us from tough circumstances. And what shocks me the most is the response of the people on the island. They immediately jump to this conclusion that Paul is getting what he deserved. And that's not only hurtful, it's actually bad theology. So many Christians live with this idea that when bad things happen, it's it's because God has just given them what they deserve. That when things go wrong, that it's God just getting back at us or teaching us a lesson. And so we judge harshly these people around us. The truth is, when bad things happen, it's because we live in a fallen world. And because God, it's because we live in this fallen world, not because God's revenge is being like dumped back on us. And there's that myth that says that everyone gets what they always deserve. And so then the divorce, the, the layoff, the breakup, the diagnosis, the death, the bankruptcy, the accident, all of these things only happen because those people deserve for them to happen for us. But that's not, that's not true. Bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. Because ever since the Garden of Eden, there's something broken about our planet. And so tragedy and hurt and heartache are a part of the human story. And we get bit because people around us are broken. And hurting people hurt people. 
And God doesn't bubble wrap his children and protect them from all the wrongs and evils of this world. But if you've been told that what's happening to you is because you deserved it, or been treated with contempt or judgment, I just want to say I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that people judged you and said that the tragedy that came upon you was something that you deserved or it was God's will for your life. That's bad theology and it's hurtful. And as believers, we have to be not so quick to assign reason or judgment or value to someone else's pain. The truth is that Paul was completely innocent here. He was accused of every number of things, but even though he had this opportunity to become bitter because of those accusations, he didn't. People are accusing him unfairly, judging him without even knowing him, and this injustice could have created that bitterness in him, but Paul doesn't allow that to happen. Verse four, it says, the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Third antidote to bitterness is when people talk about you, don't bother listening. Don't bother listening. If we... (laughs) If we live off the compliments of people, then we will die by their criticism. If we live off their compliments, if we allow their encouragement or their flattery to to build up our self-esteem or to increase our self-worth, then we're setting our future selves up to be devastated by their critique. And so we have to recognize that people are gonna call it both ways and that people and their opinions about us are really quite fickle. And so one day they call him a murderer and the next day they call him a god. One day they say, Hosanna, Hosanna on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, and on Good Friday they say, crucify him. So people's opinions change so quickly and that's why our identity, our self-worth cannot be wrapped up on what the islanders say about us. These islanders said he was a god, then the islanders said he was a murderer. The crowd is always gonna change his mind, but God doesn't ever change his mind. I think one of the hardest things for me is to recognize that someone else has a bad opinion about me and just let it go. To just not allow myself to get sucked into it because I wanna explain why they're wrong. I wanna defend myself, I wanna get into it. I don't want my reputation just left in their hands because their hands feel fickle. But the very hard truth to swallow is that I am not in control of their opinions about me. I'm not in control of the view that they have of me or even what they say about me. They have every right to not like me, not include me, and not invite me. And they don't have to trust me or give me grace or even attempt to understand me. At the end of the day, my reputation is just their perception of me. And I can't control if they tell other people about it or talk about it or say anything about it. It may involve me, it may be about me, but it's not actually mine to hold. My identity, however, is who I really am, who God created me to be and who God says that I am. And they can have their perceptions, but at the end of the day, the identity is what I defend. And people can say anything they want to about me, whether there's truth to it or whether there's not truth to it. And people might applaud us, and we can't give it too much weight. And people might hate us, and we can't give 
that too much weight because haters are just going to hate, 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 hate. And Paul just said, baby, I'm just going to shake, shake, <laughs> shake, shake. So back to verse 5. But Paul just shook the, shake, shook the snake into the fire and was unharmed. I'm sure you all can see the fourth point coming, which is shake it off, right? Paul just shook it off. He shook it off back into the place where it came from. He shook the snake into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. God didn't stop the snake from biting Paul, but what he did do is stop the snake from killing Paul. In Isaiah 54, it says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Paul is bitten, and maybe you've been bitten too. Maybe you've been bitten by anxiety or by gossip or a vengeful ex or fear or what they said or what they did. And we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to what happens. And the snake in this story only gets one verse. One verse is all the attention that Paul and, and Luke give to the snake. I've given more attention to a bad hair day than Paul gave to a venomous snake bite in his life. Don't give too much attention or time to the snakes in your life. Don't give too much headlines to those snake bites. Don't spend so much energy walking around trying to talk through the battle details about what God is actually walking you through. Instead, focus on your response. Focus on where God is taking you, on the future that he has for you. Focus on where you're going to move forward. The people around Paul were just standing there waiting for the guy to die. And do you know how many times we get bit and instead of just shaking off that snake bite, we allow that snake, that situation, that relationship, that tragedy to get attached to us. We allow the circumstance to cling to us. And some of us have gotten bitten by a snake and we've made friends with it. We decided to nurse the snake and, and just hold on to the thing that's been going through our lives. And instead of just shaking, this is a plastic snake. I see some of you like, trying to really sort that out. It's just plastic. Do not be alarmed. We allow that thing that bit us to hold on to us. And the longer it holds on, the more bitter poison venom seeps into our life. And some people spend so much time cradling their snake and talking about the snake bite that's happened in their life that they never are able to move out of that season of hurt and bitterness. And that's why the writer of Acts, Luke, he just gives it one verse. He's like, the snake bite happened and Paul shook off the snake. Because the longer we leave the snake attached to us, the easier for the poisonous venom of bitterness to get into us. And so some people will go through their lives and they're saying stuff like, well, ever since I lost my job, well, ever since my back started hurting, well, well ever since my husband stopped helping around the house, ever since they left, and we're going backwards to a snake bite that happened. And what God wants us to do is just shake it off. Not make friends with the snake. Not retell the story of what the snake did to us and how it bit our hand to everyone who will listen. If you've been bitten by life, you have a choice. Are you going to be bitter or are you going to get better? And that's why Hebrews says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. 
So if you have a snake hanging off your hand, continuing to inject its poison into your life, then we have to be vigilant to deal with that snake bite. So three quick ways to deal with shaking off the snake bites in our lives. Number one, we have to ask God to reveal any bitterness in our heart. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceptive, that it's, it tricks us, and we are often least aware of what's going on in our own hearts. And so in the interest of self-diagnosing, if we have any bitterness, we ask God, like, God, do I have any bitterness? And then we check our lives for symptoms. Bitter people are hypersensitive. They're ungrateful. They could be insincere. They might uh, hold grudges or have mood swings. And so we ask the Lord, God, is there any snake bite that's in my life that's still affecting me, that's just growing bitterness? Am I allowing the snake to just hang on and keep injecting its poison? And once we ask God that question, we listen for him to answer us, and then we know what to do. And the second thing that we do to shake off that snake bite is we talk to God about the hurt, and we allow him access to the wound. Let's be honest, all snake bites are not the same, right? Some are like a mere flesh wound, and it's easy to just shake it off. It's a small thing, we can make an understanding why it happened, and we can just let it go pretty easily. But some snake bites are like the fangs have pierced the skin and they've gone deeply into our heart. And in that case, we have to do something different. And I think the best thing to do is talk to God about that hurt and lay it all out before him. Show him the whole thing, the whole story of why we were wounded by the snake and what happened. When we do it to another person, it, it can be complaining, but when we do it before the Lord, it's really laying it out in prayer. So the Apostle Paul, he might have this complaint in prayer to the Lord. He might say, you know what? We were headed to Rome. We got on this ship. It got into a storm. The ship broke apart. We spent the day and the night in the sea. God, it was the worst. But he turns that complaint into a prayer instead. He goes through the snake bite and people judging him, and he lays it all out. And when we lay it all out before the Lord, then God can use that situation, that confession, that talking as a really healing process to uproot bitterness in our lives. And number three, many times when there's bitterness involved, we have to choose to forgive and leave it behind. We have to choose forgiveness because bitterness almost always exists when we haven't forgiven an event, a circumstance, a situation. We haven't forgiven ourselves. We haven't forgiven a person or something that they did or said, or sometimes we think that maybe we haven't forgiven God, we're holding a grudge against them. So many times, forgiveness is a key part of uprooting the snake from our lives, uprooting the bitter poison from our lives. Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So some people need to take a moment and choose forgiveness this morning to really be able to uproot that snake. Can I invite everyone in the room to stand? And as we do, I'd like you to just think in your heart. Is there a snake still hanging off your hand? Is there a snake that just dug its fangs into your life and just injecting poison into you? And if you recognize that there was a snake bite a long time ago, but you've shaken it off. That's good. But if you realize this morning there's still a snake there and it's still biting your hand, then go through this process. Ask God. 
ask God to show you all that's in your heart. Ask him to reveal if there's bitterness from the poison of that wound from a person or a situation or a life circumstance. And if you recognize there is, then commit some time in the next couple of days, maybe even just this afternoon, to tell God your whole story. Lay it all out. Talk to him about it. Say, this is the whole thing. And this is why I'm hurting. And this is what the snake bite did to me. And then at the end of that story, choose forgiveness. If it's around a person, say, I choose to forgive and use their name. If it's around an event, then say, I choose to forgive and name that event. And you might not feel like it in your heart, but sometimes just starting to say the words. And we could teach, we could teach a whole series on forgiveness and, and what is forgiveness equal and it's not the same as trust and all these things, but that's another class. And so if you just lay it out before the Lord and just begin by saying the words, I choose to forgive this person that's wounded me, you'll start to have some freedom. There's this lady in our church, her name, um, she's in heaven now, but her name is Jill Buck. And she was in ministry for over 50 years and a huge impact to most of the staff. And she um, used to do this, just she'd walk out of a conversation or a situation and she did this before Taylor Swift. She would just do this. And it was her way of saying, you know what? I'm just gonna shake it off. I'm just gonna shake off that, that conversation or the way that I felt in that moment or what just happened to me. I'm not gonna let it sting me and hold on. I'm just gonna shake it off. And so let's pray together. And at the end of this prayer, let's just shake it off, okay? God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you see every piece of the life history. You see the hurts and the wounds. You know our stories and you know that there's opportunity and been opportunity for bitterness to take root in our lives. And we pray that this week you would expose it and that you would help us to flush it out by laying it at your feet. And God, we thank you that you can heal us. We choose forgiveness just like we've been given forgiveness by you. We choose forgiveness for these hurtful circumstances or even the people that hurt us. And now whatever snake is tried to attach to our arm, we just do this and we just shake it off in the name of Jesus, we let it go, and may it fall into the fire from where it came, never to harm us again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you, church family. We love you so much, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior and to guide my life, to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94000.
Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you wanna learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text Fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.